Good morning. I didn't know it was going to come like that. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper today. And I know in times past as a pastor, sometimes I felt like the way we did it, we did the service and then we tacked on the Lord's Supper. And I found it a challenge as a pastor to try and make it meaningful. And um, as I was, uh, the first church I pastored was a small church while I was in college in Missouri. And that's how you say it, Missouri. My wife won't agree, but that's, that's it. And uh, one particular Sunday, we'd gathered to worship and observe the Lord's Supper, Communion, Eucharist, all those are words the same, and just as we're doing this morning. And I wanted to make sure and cultivate a reverent attitude and spirit concerning the special observance. I wanted it to have real meaning. I had finished the message and called the deacon. We had one deacon at the church to come forward and serve the elements. And this was back in the day when you had small unleavened crackers in a little silver dish, right? Some of you may remember that. And then you had this type of uh, 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 container for the cup, but they were glass cups, and you filled them with juice before the service. And uh, so we had that, and we were in our positions, and I was speaking about the cross and what Jesus had accomplished on the cross, and applied scripture to make this time of worship meaningful and not just another routine ritual. So we passed the bread, I read more scripture, we prayed and, and ate it. Now it was time to pass the juice, which symbolized, symbolized Christ's shed blood. Again, referred, I referred to scripture to bring us to the sacredness of the moment. The deacon took the lid off the tray holding the juice glasses and set the lid beside the tray. And I don't know how he did this, but what he did not see and what I had seen was when he uncovered the cups, not a one had juice in it. (laughs) I'm a student pastor. This is the first one after I've been ordained. And I... So... Suddenly, I lost focus. (laughs) I was thinking, what do I do now? I was thinking. I would continue to talk about the reverence of the moment. And the deacon, we were, (laughs) he was looking past me. And so, uh, he had no realization that there was no Jews. And this was one time when I tried to multitask. I kept talking and staring at the deacon, looking straight into his eyes, hoping he would look at me. Finally, he did. And when he looked at me, I looked down to try and direct his eyes down. And he looked down, and he saw no juice in the glasses. And this is what he did. And he straightened back up, and he looked straight at me. So here we were, 
Two church leaders looking at one another, not a clue what to do. I don't know what I expected him to do when he saw it. So, fortunately, his wife was sitting over in the first pew. She saw it. She got up, took the container down to the basement, filled them up with juice, brought it back up. I think we may have been singing a song or something while she did that. And then we finished the Lord's Supper. I'll never forget that time. The immediate crisis was solved. But during that time, I had lost focus. I was talking and speaking, but I was underneath that was an, a loss of focus. I was thinking about what are we going to do about the juice. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes in the immediate situations in our lives and the challenges that come and the unexpected events that happen and then the inconveniences that occur, we lose focus. It may be a new coworker. It may be a new policy at work or school. It may be a different method. But what we observe today in the Lord's Supper, we understand Paul to say to the Corinthian church, this is not just a religious ritual. This is a proclamation that you're making. It's something that you're announcing, declaring in, in action about your commitment in this world, not just in the walls of the church. <clears throat> it's more than just drinking a cup of juice and eating a wafer of bread. And Paul had some very strong instructions to the Corinthian church about the Lord's Supper. He was bringing them back to a focus about that proclamation. One of Paul's statements, and we're going to read chapter 11, verse 17 through 34. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. And I'll get out of 2 Corinthians and I'll get in 1 Corinthians says this, now, in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the what? Worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. There must indeed be factions among you so that the approved among you may be recognized. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. 
Now Paul's saying, that's what you're intending, but that's not what you're doing. It is to come and eat that, but you think you're doing that, but that's not what you're doing. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one person is hungry, while another is what? What? Drunk. Drunk in church? Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? Humiliate them. What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. Paul says, no way. For I received, and then Paul comes into a point where he says, this is, this is what I gave to you. What you're doing, I don't recognize. But here, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup and after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's the gospel. He died on the cross. He was put in the grave. He rose again, and he's coming back. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself. In this way, he should eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever, whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have even what? Died. That's pretty serious. And then they say, they don't have now. I mean, when was the last time you saw somebody die in a sanctuary that took it unworthily? I've never seen that. But Paul said there was a judgment that came in taking it unworthily. Just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged, verse 32. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, there's the therefore. All this I finally... In conclusion, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait. Wait for one another. 
If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home. If you're coming, you know, if you're hungry, and that's why eat at home. So that you can come together and not cause judgment. And I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. One of Paul's statements in the scripture that we just read charges that the worship gathering of the church at Corinth was detrimental spiritually. What a sad state of affairs, right? You get up, you shower up, you freshen up, and you come to church. And you come to worship. And you come to honor God. And the worst thing that can happen is to come and be deceived that you're doing it when you really aren't. Or when I'm not really. And Paul said, that's what you're doing. They thought they were observing the Lord's Supper. In reality, they weren't. They had groups who debated and quarreled and others who formed cliques. Think about the quarrels and debates that we have had in church over the years and came to observe the Lord's Supper. Church pews versus chairs. Contemporary music versus what? Traditional hymns. Certain preachers that we follow. Democrat versus, and I got the, I got the hands right, right, left, right? Republicans. I know a church back in Missouri where, where I was baptized. And there was a school board election. And <clears throat> some people began wearing yellow ribbons in support of one candidate. And others who didn't, didn't wear the yellow ribbons. And a school board election was creating a division in the church. Wearing your Sunday best tie, used to be three, three-piece suit, sometimes it is still. Or, you know, casual clothes. In church history, there was a thing called the iconoclastic controversy, and what that was was there were people who thought if you had the, a, a, a cross like behind that screen on the wall, and then some took it further that you had statues, it would be part of the worship. But if you had any sort of a picture or a, a cross or anything like that, 
it was wrong. It was an idol. And in one of these con- this controversy, there was a, a, a person who took the cross, who was on the opposing side of the one that he was in trouble with, and he beat him to death with a cross. What are the debates that we have? And we have lost the focus. Donna and I attended the same church. She grew up there. I came later. But one year a storm came through. I don't know if she remembers it. And destroyed the steeple. I remember a business meeting that we were at. And ended up in a hot debate about whether to put the steeple back six inches higher or not. The things that we quarrel and debate and fight about, we lose our focus of what this is all about. It's not that we cannot have differences. We will. Paul said, there must be these divisions, or as he said this, in order to find out who is genuine. You know (laughs) how to find out what kind of love you have is to have a disagreement with someone and then walk away and see if you can love them or not. And they may, it may be disagreement more than about a, a pew and a chair. It's not that we cannot have differences, but we can talk and have differences, and we look to the same Lord to help us know how to love one another in the midst of those differences. How to mature us. That's what they were going to church for us, for maturity. That's what Paul wanted them to do, encourage one another. So, granted, what they did was a little different than ours. They had to, like, bring... They had, they, they, not like, they had a bring a dish to pass potluck type of dinner. And he brought food. And then in that process, they would also observe the Lord's Supper together. Those who were well-to-do, their schedule allowed them to get to church, bring their food, and it was good stuff. It was good food, and it was good wine. And they brought it, they ate it, they drank it, to the point that they got tanked. They got drunk. Now, other members of the church who weren't as well-to-do were out working. They didn't have that freedom of schedule. And they came to the church... And what did they see when they came in to fellowship? People who were drunk, 
place with already eaten food on it and scraps left for them. They couldn't even have a good conversation with their fellow church members who were too drunk. Paul said, look, that's not what church is about. Keep that kind of behavior at your house. If you're going to do that, keep it at home. Don't bring it here. You have homes to do that in. This is about something different. When you do that here, you make a mockery of the body of Christ. Because isn't that what we, he said, we have become, who follow him, who accept him? We are his, what? Body. And when we, when, and Paul says, when you do that, you make a mockery. You, some of your versions may say you despise the body. Paul was talking about a deep theological concept here. In the history of the church, we've had discussions, debates, councils about things like propitiation, things like redemption, spiritual transformation, and we can add one more shin to this list. Consideration. Doesn't sound like a deep theological conduct. But Paul says it's what this is all about. Sounds sort of sort of humanly. What the wealthy Christians were doing at Corinth was shameful and lacked consideration. And what not what Jesus died and rose again for. Paul wasn't correcting them about their drunkenness specifically. He didn't say in here, did he? Now, I want to talk to you about your drinking issue. He talked about in other places in the New Testament about the sin of drunkenness. That's not what he, that's not what we focus on here, was it? He focused on their insensitivity to those around them. He said, examine yourself. And how do I examine myself about consideration? I put myself in their shoes. I seek to understand where they are. When the woman was caught in adultery, Jesus practiced the theological concept of consideration. Stoner. What did he do? 
He bent down, he wrote, right? I often wonder what he wrote, right? People have different ideas. I don't know what's your idea. What do you think he wrote? Anybody got ideas? I mean, Mike could be wrong. I think he might have wrote, where's the man? But regardless, that's not the point. <laughs> he, had, he, he said what? What did he respond when they said, she, the, the scripture says that what? Stoner. So they put him right on stage. Are you going to do what the scripture says or not? And what did he say? What did he say? You without sin cast the first stone. Now Jesus, are you not going to follow Scripture? You can't be from God and not follow Scripture. And what happened out of that? They dropped their stones and they left and he asked her, who is here to condemn you? And she said, what? No one. That was the deep theological concept or practice of consideration. It's, it's also called divine love and compassion. We're so afraid of the power of grace sometimes. We're afraid that if we don't stone her, that nobody will respect God and the Word of God. we got to defend it. That's what those leaders were doing. And they were putting him to the test about it. Do you? But we're so afraid to apply grace because we might consider, be considered a compromiser. Let me ask you this. When Jesus came and he walked this earth, and he did ministry. He got a reputation. And the scripture says that his reputation was he was a friend of who? Tax gatherers and sinners, the lowest kind you could be as far as God's concerned. You can't have a relationship with God and be one of those. And what are you, Jesus, doing with them? And he did it to the point that he got the reputation. Now, Jesus didn't compromise. That wasn't the problem. The problem was the judgment of the religious leaders that said he did. Because he loved. Jesus prayed in John 17. This was part of his prayer, not all of it. Praying for his followers, his disciples, us. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. 
Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. A little later in that prayer, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And that's you, and that's me, he's praying for. That they may be, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe, so that, so that to the result that the world may believe what? You sent me. We love people and equipped by God to do so in a way that a world looks and says, what? You love them? You love them? They don't deserve to be loved. They can't do much. They don't contribute much. Paul says, it speaks of God in Christ reconciling the world into himself and giving us this message of reconciliation. What's the reconciliation? That we might live lives in the world that people might see, and we were saying about it, city set on a hill, light of the world, that people might be drawn to the one God. We don't create the oneness. We love so that God will draw us together to be one. And that calls for changes in all of us. I remember when uh, at the church in Fort Worth that Donna and the kids and I attended in Fort Worth began a street ministry. A van began to transport people from this ministry to the church. These people sat in a certain section of the church when they came. There was a place for them, you see, because they came off the streets. After a while, these people, we noticed, were no longer attending the church. What happened? I learned that some members had complained about how things were beginning to smell in the church. Now, I'm not above that. I didn't agree with that. But you know... it's not about what's convenient for me. It's not about what you do to make me happy. It's not about whether you do the things 
I agree with. Jesus says, I'm praying that you'll come together, even in your differences, that my life, death, and resurrection will be bigger than those, and you can worship, and the world can see that when I don't like someone, I hate someone, that there's a place that I'll learn how to find peace. That's the city set on a hill. That's the light of the world. That Jesus said in John, when I am lifted up, I will what? Draw all men, all men, the world, everyone to me. They got drunk. They ate a lot of food. They humiliated people in church. Now, as Baptists, we wouldn't have that problem, would we? There ain't nobody going to get drunk at our potluck dinners, are they? But there's principles here that can still apply. Paul's criticizing them because they're not acting like a church. They treat people differently. Maybe some of those who were wealthy made some value judgments about those who came late. Maybe they said, they're just lazy. That's why they're poor. Sometimes we make those judgments. We're pro-life. That means the unborn has value because he or she is a creation of God in the womb. He or she is a life for whom Christ died. We're pro-life after delivery. It's a little complicated sometimes. But if you're pro-life, you don't change, do you? Common sense doesn't say, well, I can't be pro-life here because there are tough positions sometimes in that. So, Paul basically says that kind of thinking doesn't belong in church. You must allow your heart to be transformed to be changed, that you will want to follow the peace that I can give, the forgiveness that comes, the redemption, the salvation, the joy. Not like the world gives, but the way I can give. And when he talks about taking the supper unworthily, it's not saying 
And I used to struggle with this because before I observed the Lord's Supper, I would think, I know I've messed up this week. I know I've sinned. I'm not worthy. Well, that's not what he's talking about. None of us are worthy to, on our own merit to take it. We take it because he gave us the right, John says, to be called the sons of God. We take it, but when he says unworthy, it's when we begin to have these mindsets and perspectives that put people in certain boundaries and build barriers and walls and make judgments and value judgments on their lives. So as we observe the Lord's Supper today, what do we take from Paul's admonition? Can you take it? Well, certainly. If you have accepted Christ and follow him, and he's given you the right to be called the Son of God because of your trust in the cross and the resurrection, And as we come and observe it, our proclamation is this. All people, every person, is important to Christ. Whether they can give something to me, whether they can contribute to our cause or not, they're important to him. The church is the model in this world, the light, for acceptance, forgiveness, and unconditional love. I've been to seminary, I've pastored churches, and I want to tell you, the past probably five years, I have learned more about how much I need to grow. Things that I thought I was past. Things that I thought I had down pat. And when it came to unconditional love, I said, man, that's hard. I don't want to do that. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Or you hurt me, I don't want anything to do with you. Jesus on the cross said this while he was being nailed. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. People who have deep differences, if they can't come to church, and find something greater that leads them together. Where can they go? Jesus said, that's what I'm drawing all men to me. And there are differences. But in your lives, I want to work in a way through love that, that you learn how to walk together to honor me. A person despises the church who humiliates others just because they're different. And last, cultivating, cultivating cliques makes church and worship worse, not better. That's what the supper has come to mean. I think those are things that Paul was addressing the Corinthian church about. And as we take that, as we observe this today, it is about Christ. 
but it's also about the transformation of the living Christ in my life to love one another. Mike's going to come and lead us in the observance of the supper.